Hello and welcome back to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. If you listen to the podcast regularly when episodes are released, you may have noticed that the gaps have been a little sporadic over the last two or three releases. I'm sorry for this. We have a substantial backlog of episode interviews recorded and lined up to come out over the coming weeks, but unfortunately there is some non-podcast real life going on at the moment which is, through necessity, meaning that I can't work on the podcast as frequently as I usually would. I'll try really hard to get episodes to you as often as I can, but please bear with me while I go through this period. I'm sorry to be a little vague, but please rest assured that I will do my best for you until things return to normal for me. And I'm very grateful for the kind words and support that I've already received. Okay, on to this episode, and we turn our attention to the folklore of Africa a topic which we're long overdue in featuring. Guiding us through this subject is our very special guest, Helen Nday, a true ambassador for the folk stories and lore of her culture. Helen curates Mythological Africans, a website, Twitter account, storytelling space and podcast which shines a spotlight on Africa and its folklore. Helen was born in Cameroon, but now lives in Atlanta. She's an artist, writer and researcher whose most recent project was the Kickstarter-funded book The Runaway Princess and Other Stories, a collection of prose and verse retellings of the deeds and misdeeds of memorable women from African history, legend and folklore. The words are brought to life by a collection of beautiful illustrations produced by a number of African artists. As part of her continuing look at storytellers and storytelling for the podcast, Tracy Nicholas met online with Helen recently. Unfortunately, due to circumstances completely out of my control, this recording did suffer a little from some connection and quality issues at times. I've worked on the audio to improve this as much as possible for your listening experience. Do please bear with it. The content is important and really worth it. I'm Tracy Nicholas, and I'm here today with Helen Nday. And Helen is a Cameroonian-born researcher, writer, and artist, currently based in Atlanta, Georgia. She curates Mythological Africans, an online space for exploring mythology, folklore, spirituality, and culture from the African continent. Her recently published book, The Runaway Princess and Other Stories, features prose and verse retellings of the deeds and misdeeds of memorable women from from African history, legend, and folklore. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Tracy. It's a pleasure. Um, Can we start with having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and the path that you took to get to the place where you are right now? Certainly, certainly. So um, as you mentioned in the intro, I am Cameroonian. So I was born and raised in Cameroon. It's a West Central African country. And I moved to the U.S. when I was 20, 21 thereabouts. So I came to the US as as an adult, you know, with a very well-developed sense of myself, but then had that disorienting immigrant experience of seeing myself through the eyes of another. And that that caused quite a bit of confusion for me because I realized that there were many aspects of who I am that I uh, didn't understand as well as I thought I did. And um, being, you know, African, being a woman, being black in the US, there are lots of assumptions that get made about you know, who you are and how you move through the world. And I realized that I, I wasn't on as solid footing as I, I thought I was. And this triggered, you know, an exploration into history and culture. Um, but a lot of that is dominated by, you know, the African um, continent's experience with European exploration and colonialism. And um, I, I wanted to see what what lay, what what was beyond that, you know. And I figured, you know, looking at folklore, looking at myths, looking at legend was a, a good way to come about to go about that because those are are, are aspects that predate, in many ways, the arrival of Europeans, the colonization of of the people, and you know, the, these things that so permeate the African identity. So I. Um, I decided to go down that route and um, 
just see this as a way to see what what other possibilities are out there. Um, you might have noticed with my Gmail address, it's Alternative Africans, and I initially conceived of the, the platform as a way to look at other possible ways of being African that are not, you know, necessarily aligned with the conventional ideas, you know, for what it means. Um, but settled on um, mythological as a kind of tongue-in-cheek way to poke at the, the fact that there are so many ideas about what it means to be to be African. It's almost like there's a, a mythical aspect to it, you know, something that people can sense but can't quite define and have all these theories about. But but there is also the truth that there are many stories um, about what it means and what it has meant to be someone from the African continent, some of which are homegrown and some of which um, come from outside of the continent. And so the platform is dedicated to exploring all of that, the stories, the legends, the myths, the cultures out of which they come, the worldviews and, and, and spiritualities that they've engendered, and just to for myself primarily, but also for other people who might be curious, give a, 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 you know, another way to see African people through the stories that we, we tell ourselves. That's great. I, I like how you came to that name um, because it's, it, it is interesting because people really do have ideas in their head and the African continent is so huge and there's so many different cultures and subcultures and just different ways of, of living that it's, you know, it, it's odd that people don't have an understanding that there's many varied, um, you know, traditions, stories, myths, folklore. Um, so I, I, I really like how you got to that name. That's great. Um, can we talk more about mythological Africans and what you're doing with it and what you are, you know, what you want to achieve with it? Sure, sure. So mythological Africans is primarily a storytelling platform. Um, I try every day to tell a story um, about someone, someplace, some idea from the African continent. And I mostly align with um, what the mythology and folklore community on Twitter is up to. So um, there are, for each day of the week, there is a, a theme. So there is mythology Monday, where it's Fairy Tale Tuesday, uh, Weird Wednesday. I think there's also Legendary Wednesday, where it's Folklore Thursday and Temple Thursday. There's Fashion Friday. There is uh, Superstition Saturday. And there is Folklore Sunday and Swamp Sunday. And each of these days, um, the, the curators of these um, hashtags have themes that they propose and you're supposed to find a story from your part of the world, from your area of interest to share. And I, I've pretty much made it my business to, to share the stories from different African people for, for these, these myths, um, these legends, these ideas and cultures. And so it, it's storytelling um, in, in that format or on a weekly, on a daily basis every week. Um, but also weekly on Fridays, uh, we have a live storytelling session where I will read a story, a myth, a legend from some African people and host a discussion about you know the things that show up in the story, about the cultures out of which these stories come. Um, again, just in an effort to to bring these stories alive, not only to myself, but to other African people who might have interest and to people from around the world, because um, the underlying philosophy of mythological Africans is that as we understand ourselves through stories and hear stories from other parts of the world, we really come to see that, you know, the, the human condition is 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 the same you know we, we have the same experiences we have the same struggles and triumph and that's that's something worth recognizing um, mythological africans also has a blog where every now and then i'll share an essay you know about some topic or another i think my most recent essay on the mythological africans blog focused on the use of neck rings in african culture and this um this was a, an interesting essay to write because um, for as much as the, the, the as an ornament, it was such neck rings were such a huge part of African culture, and you don't 
except for among specific peoples now, you don't see it that much anymore. So it was interesting to trace the, the, the history and the way this, this ornament has changed and people's relationship to it has changed. Um, but there are also essays, just musings about mythology and folklore and um, different different things that will come up um, as, I, as I go along curating the, the platform. Um, Mythological Africans also has a newsletter and um, every month it's an opportunity for me to reflect on things that have happened, um, share upcoming um, events, and also highlight things that were exciting. Um, so there's a monthly newsletter, there is a YouTube channel on which I do deep dives. So every now and then, um, well, every month, I will put up on Twitter a question or a poll asking people to let me know what they want to hear, what they want to talk about. And then we will, um, there will be a vote and I will prepare a usually 30 to 45 minute presentation on um, the topic that was chosen. And um, so, so far we've had quite a few deep dives. We've looked at the other world and underworld in African um, culture and mythology and folklore. We've looked at symbolisms of the sun, the moon and the stars. So we have the traditional zodiac, right? Um, Aries and Taurus and you know all these all these zodiac signs. Well, what did African people imagine when they looked at the stars? So we have an episode um, on that. Wow. And uh, more recently, we've been delving into the area of sexuality on the African continent. So there is this pervasive idea that um, homosexuality or queer sexualities are not African and even the most cursory look at the, the, the information that is out there says this is just not true. So this this has been um, the last couple of episodes which um, resumed this month of March um, have been focused on exploring just what, what does the evidence say about what African people believed about sexuality, what practices were, 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 were common. Um, so that's the YouTube channel. I also will give talks every now and then, so I'll do a, a more focused talk um, on a topic, sometimes by invitation, um, well, usually by invitation. So there is there is that aspect of the mythological African platform as well. And um, every now and then I will receive a research request from someone who needs support with um, exploring some aspect of mythology and folklore um, or culture from the African continent. So I, I will support that as well. So uh, lots of fingers in different pies, so to speak, but it, it all just converges on this idea that there are so many stories about what it means and what it has meant to be someone from the African continent, that gigantic, massive, massive piece of land with so many different people, so many different cultures, such a rich history, um, just feasting, feasting at that table. You know, I think I've run across every single thing that you said that you just laid out that you're doing. <clears throat> and I don't think I realized it at the time because I was just doing my research, but <clears throat> that's, um, you've got a lot of ambitious uh, stuff going on here. It, it is. And it, it keeps me, keeps me busy, keeps me thinking, keeps me um, actively engaged, not just in the world around me, but in the world within me, because it's, it's a, it's a discovery, right? It's a discovery of of myself seeing myself through the, the history and the culture of my part of the world but also seeing that that evolution in, in real time because the african continent continues to evolve and create history and culture so it's it's a lot going on but in a in a good way i have to say definitely in a good way good um you had said a little bit earlier um, ab about looking into sexual orientation, gender identity, um, and, and that you've been doing the research and doing some deep dives on that. What did you discover when, when you were doing that research? You know, the, the main thing, and I don't know that this is so much a discovery or a confirmation or just coming to an understanding and accepting, is that the, 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 the expression of sexuality on the African continent is the same as the expression of sexuality anywhere else in the world. It's on the spectrum. Um, and the, the, this, this expression has also been affected by the same forces that have been affected, that have affected people in other parts of the world and have resulted in, in 
ways that sexuality and gender is expressed that range from the benign all the way to the harmful. And it's, there is a joy I feel about it because, you know, growing, growing up in Cameroon, um, there, there's a way that if you are not, you know, heterosexual and straight, there's a way that you, you, you move through the world, there's a way that you, you get treated, it can be it's it's dangerous. Let's you know put it right. in, in plain words. It it can be very dangerous. Right. So to see to see that you know there this didn't come out of nowhere to understand the the path which we have taken to get get to a, get to this point, um, it gives me some hope um, that with this understanding we can extricate ourselves from these complexities. Um, but also, like I said, it's looking at history, but also looking at real time, because if you look at what's going on now on the African continent, there are a lot of uh, queer activists who are putting a lot of pressure on, on the, the, the powers that be to, you know, recognize the fact that when it comes down to it, we are all human beings with dignity that deserves protection. And, and it's, 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 it's a good space to be in, because I feel like it's, this is a necessary fight. Um, there's there's a lot that the people of the African continent have had to endure, and it it makes no sense for us to turn and you know have other people who are some uh, our own um, amongst ourselves our own selves you know endure some of the limitations and and sufferings that you know were inflicted on us. Um, the 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 most exciting discovery for me really has been that. Um, there were societies where to be queer, to be trans, to be uh, lesbian, to be bisexual, to be to be gay, was was celebrated. You know, to to be different was not a, a condemnation. And there were also places where you know to be different was 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 a death sentence, even back in the day. But to discover that you know there there was joy, there was love, there was connection, there was friendship and camaraderie. And you know the beautiful things that make life worth living. That that has just been an, an absolute delight for me. That's great. It's it's great that you feel hopeful after doing the research because it's frustrating that you know it's 2023 and it's taking this long to get to a point where you know things are getting better so slowly. So um, I'm I'm glad to hear that it uh, provides hope. Right. And the, the one thing that I really want to come back to is that the, the way, the freedom with which people are able to be themselves, their authentic selves, it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like if you look at the U.S. today, you know, even with laws in the, the Constitution, um, laws passed by the Supreme Court that guarantee people's rights to, to live and love as they wish to, nothing is certain. Everything is still subject to change and it, it's still a fight you know, to make sure that um, members of the LGBTQ uh, community remain, you know, free and have dignified lives, and it's 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 the same process on the African continent. You know, right. different forces will put pressure at different times, and it remains on the people to to make sure that they are not not getting the, the short end of the stick. And what what is just so incredibly inspiring about it is just the the, the bravery of it, because now I live in the U.S., so I can. I have the space, you know, and the liberty to to relax into aspects of myself which in Cameroon I had to, you know, pretty much act like they didn't exist. Um, attractions that I felt, you know, inclinations that I had, I now I can, you know, I have the liberty to look at them, to ignore them, to live my life as I wish. But you know, there there are people who are still on the African continent who are fighting this, this these battles, who don't have these luxuries and liberties that I have. And um, to to see them take the, the bull by the proverbial horns to say, you know, we don't care what you think. We we know we, we know the, the path that we have walked to get here. We know what our people believe in the path, and we are going to stand on the fact that we are human beings who deserve respect too. Um, respect that was given to us in past societies. Um, it's it's completely inspiring. It's completely inspiring. It's it's encouraging, and that that as far as this topic of sexuality and gender is concerned, that gives me gives me a lot of hope for for what could be because the the challenges are the challenges are are quite big, quite intense for sure. 
And hopefully, as communication continues to get easier, you know, even to the most remote corners of the planet, people will understand that this is a fight that's going on everywhere, that this is, you know, fighting for those rights is something that affects everybody. And, and hopefully it will help people feel not so isolated, because when you feel like everybody is different than me, that's a really difficult way to live your life. Mm-hmm. And and that has that has been um, like you said the the game changer the fact that people are now more able to connect. So you have in online um, online spaces people from one part of the continent connecting with other parts of the continent, linking their struggles, linking their 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 journeys. You know, if if people in one part of the, the continent get arrested, you see people in other parts of the continent agitating for that. If like right now in um, Uganda, for example, um, there are some very stringent laws that are being enacted against um, homosexual um, homosexual men and lesbian women and the queer community in general. And you see it all over Twitter, you know, queer people from all over, from, from, from Ghana, from South Africa, from Zambia, from Cameroon and Nigeria and all these other parts of the continent are standing up to say, hey, not, not one of ours to say this is not right. Um, it's... The the, the 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 ease with which we can communicate and link with each other um, has definitely opened up you know many more avenues for 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 change and it's 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 exciting it's encouraging yeah definitely reason for hope yeah absolutely um, so I'm sure this will be hard for listeners to believe but you haven't talked about everything that you're doing yet <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your book that you just released sure sure. So, um, yes, so the book is called The The Runaway Princess and Other Stories, and it is a collection of uh, folk tales retold, mostly retold. Um, So I think 14 of the stories are retellings, either as poems or as short stories. And then six of the of the, the stories are original short stories and poems, but based on on culture. And um, this this book really came out of me trying to find a way to process the the, the things that I have been learning as I have curated mythological African since um, twenty twenty. And the the stories are mainly focused on girls and women um, because I gravitated towards these stories as as I as I started creating mythological Africans again. That that idea that I this this um, effort was a way for me to come to a better understanding of myself and how I fit, you know, in, in space and time. And so um, it it was an interesting journey um, writing the book. And honestly, I think I'm still processing, you know, everything that happened in the course of me putting the book together and, and, and getting it out to the public. But it is published in ebook format and print format. And I, I am very excited and very, very proud. Tell us about the the process, the research process, the writing process. How did you find these stories? How did you choose which stories you were going to use? Sure. So this this book has been a couple of years in the making, um, for sure. So as I filtered through different stories to share for the weekly themes, for the storytelling um, sessions, every now and then I would read the story of some a girl or a woman and go, hmm, this is interesting. Um, and it would really, really, really stick with me. Um, for example, uh, the, the runaway princess is Yenenga. And Yenenga is a legendary figure, a historical figure. Um, originally from the Dagomba people who are found in Ghana, but she's the founding mother of the Mosi people who are found in Burkina Faso. And her story is one that plays around with ideas of what it means to be a woman, because she is, uh, uh, her legend is that she was such a skilled warrior that she was a, a general, a captain, a high, highly ranked person in her father's army. And she was so useful to him that he wouldn't even let her marry because he wanted her to stay and, and you know, work, um, work with him on military campaigns. And so she ran away and met this man in the forest who, by some accounts, was a runaway prince himself. And they married and eventually she reunited with her father and her son um, founded his own kingdom. But, you know, there, there, there is a lot that, you know, 
was interesting about the story first the idea that you have this woman who is so good at you know at, at battle they wouldn't let her marry which flies in the face of a lot of what you know we would imagine uh, an african woman's story would be because the, the tendency is that you have to marry right sometimes at a very young age against your will so this this story of a woman who had so much agency who had such a high um high place of honor in her community and yet wanted something else to the point where she chose to run away to get it um i, I found that just fascinating and then reading the different versions of her story and how you know the, the, the different ways in which people interpret her story, how her story converges and diverges with other myths and legends of women from that area and coming to a bit of a better understanding of, of why the story was presenting itself as it did. That, that, that was just utterly fascinating. And there, there are numerous stories like that of women um, from across the African continent. So every time I would run into a story like this, you know, I would I would bookmark some of them as you know, something worth exploring later. But also because um, folk folk tales, fairy tales, they they tend not to spend too much time on the the thoughts and feelings and inner processes of of the characters, and so. Part of the, my retellings was going into the women's heads and thinking, okay, what might have been going through their heads as they face these circumstances, as they made these decisions, and trying to build an entertaining story around that. So um, it, it, it came together over a couple of years, just deciding which stories to tell and how to tell them. Um, and, and, you know, digging into the, the cultures out of which they come to try to get a better understanding of what their motivations might have been, how they, they align with what expectations might have been from, for them, how they diverge from them. And just coming up with the best story that I could tell, um, it, it, it was fun. I would say that I unfortunately put myself under a lot of pressure to, to get the book out. And um, I'm glad with how it turned out. Um, and as, as I think about the story some more, I'm thinking there will definitely be things that I will, will work work on um, for subsequent editions and prints. But um, it it really does represent, you know, my my process of just trying to come to terms with who I found out African women have been in the past and. Um, a, a presentation of ways that things could be possibly in the future. Sure. So how do you find that balance that, you know, being faithful to the original work, but you've also approached it in a slightly different way with the artistic liberty of, you know, getting into the thoughts and feelings, but also, you know, sensitivity to norms of our time, because a lot of times these older stories um, are things that we find unpalatable now. How do, how do you find that balance between those three things? Right. You know, something I was very deliberate about was to not sugarcoat anything, okay. to not act like there weren't unpalatable, like you said, things about, about African societies of the past, but also to not act like there were not people at that time who saw these things and found them unpalatable. Does that make sense? Sure. Right. Because um, I, I feel like in every human being, there is that yearning to, to, be, to live in dignity, to live in freedom, you know, to, to be surrounded by love, to, to feel that care and compassion for others. And yes, culture has a way it will condition you and it can breed attitudes that are not life-affirming, as I, I, as I think about it sometimes. But there are always people who see injustice and know it to the core of their beings, know it in their bones that this is not right. So for, for I'm trying to think, for every instance where I, I focus attention on something that is not, you know, something distasteful about, about cultures of the past, you know, I made sure that there, there was an awareness and not necessarily in, in the modern sense, because there are things now which we would find distasteful, which at that time it made sense for the things to be the way they were just because of people's understanding. So to, to, not, to not ignore that, but also to not act like people back in the day didn't have the sensitivity or the compassion to know when you know, things were not the best that they could be. 
Um, but also to to not put too much pressure on myself. <laughs> of course. So to, to get it perfectly right, I mean, um, this is aside from the little stories that I would scribble in notebooks and my, my friends in in high school and secondary school would, would gobble it up. This is the first, you know, story that I've ever written, so to speak. Um, I, I wrote stuff for my blog, some of my blogs back in the day, but that was just me putting stuff out, you know, for my own entertainment for the most part. So to, to do the best that I could, but also to not put too much pressure on myself to get it right, to, to understand that part of the process of being a writer is to take artistic license, to, to weave a story and accept that, you know, it will land great for some people, it will rouse strong emotions for some people, and for some people, they think it sucks, so just be okay with that. <laughs> right. Well, you, you did, I mean, you, you definitely did go a step beyond of, you know, the normal editing and having, you know, like, first readers, because you enlisted a team of sensitivity readers. Can you talk a little bit about those people? Sure, sure. And and my, my intention with that was to make sure that I wasn't the only person looking at these stories. My my main editor was uh, an American woman, a white American woman. So I wanted to make sure that for, for certain stories in particular, they, they went into the hands of people um, from the African continent, preferably who lived on the African continent, because I know that, you know, I definitely have blind spots. And oh boy, did I have blind spots, you know. <laughs> you know there, there, I had uh, quite a few conversations with, with people who, you know, the, I, I, I know you've read the book some, so you'll notice every now and then I will put um, uh, snippets of the traditional language. So first of all, to make sure that those were, you know, accurate, but also, you know, to, to help me think through attitudes, to help me, you know, make sure that there were not too many gaps in how I, in, in the, the characters that I presented. And I remember um, for one of the stories that goes into the realm of um, female genital cutting, mm -hmm. um, one of the sensitivity readers pointed out to me quite clearly, she says, you know, you, you write about it, but you, it, it's not clear to your readers what your own sense of this practice is. You know, and I, I had to sit with that for a bit because I was thinking, okay, am I copying out by not taking a position? You know, am I being fair to the many women who these, these practices have harmed? Because I was trying to, in this story, I was trying to write it from the perspective of someone who buys into the practice, believes in it, and has has gone along with it. And what what came true after I had this conversation and I read the story again was that I I didn't you know present a balanced idea of the other side either. You know it it, it wasn't balanced. So I, I had to do a little bit of rewriting there. Um, and then you know aspects of language that I didn't get right. Um, there was a one story where I had to take out a whole scene because I, I wasn't sure about the characterization of the, there's, a, there's a creature that showed up in that scene. And as I was writing the book, I had an episode on, on Twitter where someone pointed out to me that a creature that was characterized as a monster was actually people with albinism. And that's what happens when people don't, there's a difference and people don't understand it. So it made me very worried of you know just writing you know a, 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 an otherworldly type creature with malevolent characteristics into a story without really understanding you know where that comes from especially since there is a, a track record of people with you know differently able differently bodied people being characterized you know at different extremes um so there, there was one scene that i just completely removed because it, it i was like I'm, I'm just not going to risk it so but you know, making sure that I, like I said, I had people from from the continent, you know, who could pick up on blind spots, who could check language, who could um, make sure that the, the, the dots connected. I Another example I encountered was when I used a term that was used to describe a man who um, is sexually attracted to other men, and it was a linguistically correct term, except in today's day and age, it's considered a highly offensive term. So if if I had not made a point to check this, I would have had that that expression in there, and who knows what what reaction that would have caused. 
um, is there a part where I could have kept it in there because it's it's accurate, it's it's the proper use of the term? Absolutely. But keeping in mind that, you know, people, cultures change, words change, ideas change, and um, being, being respectful of that, being cognizant of that was, was definitely something that the sensitivity readers um, helped me with. And something else that came up was um, with Yenenga's story, you know, um, one the, the the girl who did the sensitivity reading for this fantastic um, sensitivity reader and editor, by the way, she um, pointed out, you know, that it, it, the story might come out come across as uh, me basically trying to say that oh, a woman is only valid if she marries and have children, but you know, a closer reading will show that this was Yenenga actually acting in full agency to say, okay, I have these other skills. I have this other life that I could live, but this is the life that I'm choosing. And that is every woman's prerogative when it comes down to it, to say, okay, I have this multitude of choices, this multitude of ways that I could live. And this is how I choose to be, whether it's to immerse myself in in domestic bliss and being a mother or to be a, a warrior on the battlefield or to be a warrior in, in, in the corporate jungle, you know. Wherever wherever I want to place myself is 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 my prerogative, you know, as long as I stay mindful of the, the privileges and the oppressions that come with that. Um so it, it was an interesting experience. I'm I'm absolutely glad I did it. I wish I could have had more readers for all the stories. There were, there were limitations in terms of time and access that I was working with. Um, but I, I am very glad I, I made the decision to include them. They, they were absolutely wonderful. What were some of the stories that you would have loved to include, but you couldn't? One story which I, I would have loved to have a sensitivity reader for is a story of uh, Hatsumata Jaura, which is a tragedy. I don't know if you've read that one yet. And I, I had some trouble just pinning down who could do sensitivity reading for the story because it's a legend from the kingdom of Wagadu and the kingdom of Wagadu is an ancient African kingdom, which today um, might be, you know, encompasses Ghana, Mali, there have been so many migrations of people and cultures. It wasn't clear, okay, so who, if I want to check this cultural reference, this, this idea, who do I assign this to? Um, I believe in the book I assigned the story as a, a Fulani story, and if I'm being honest, that was a, a, my best guesstimation of what that might have translated to. But now that I think about it, it might be a Soninke story. Okay. Um, you know, there, there, there are many ways this could have swung, and I went for you know one, one, one ethnic group that spreads across much of of West West Africa. You know, to say okay, this this might cover as much ground, but that's definitely one story that I would have absolutely loved to get a sensitivity reader for. The other one is the Alejani Princess, which supposedly comes from the Kordofan region of Sudan, um, but it's not necessarily assigned to a specific people. So the Kordofan is like a state or a province in Sudan. Um, and the story itself, the, the themes, the motifs, I, I, this is definitely a story that I wish I could have had sensitivity reading for, but it just, it, it wasn't in the cards given, given the circumstances. So the next question I'm going to ask you is the question that all creators probably hate. Uh, do you have a favorite story in the book? And if you do, which one? I do have a favorite story, and that is Sienenga's story, because I, I think she's just a fascinating um, character. Um, there were a few things I, I wasn't sure how to present, but I just tried to, to, to show her as just this woman who you know, was deeply invested in the success and the, the, the continuity of her people and was trying to find the best way to do it, but also live her life, you know. Um, and I wanted to write her as someone who, you know, loved her family, loved her father, loved her people, um, and was just grappling with these, these heavy duties that had been placed on her. Um, I brought a friend into the story for her and, you know, just wanted to portray her as someone living, you know, a, a, a complex life and having to make some very tough decisions for her time. So Yenenga's story is, is definitely, I would say, 
my favorite story. But then there are so many others that I love, right? There is a story uh, of the alleged princess, you know, who is this trickster type figure who I, I, I mean, women who you know, use their smarts to, to, to navigate life and, you know, triumph are some of my favorite characters um, in, in, in folklore and fiction. So I, I love her. I love you know, the, 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 the princess, the, the girl who changed into a monkey. But I, I mean, I love every single one of these women. There's, there's um, Konara who, you know, <laughs> her story is one of those where I mean, the first time I read it, I, I, I was taken aback because I just, I didn't expect that, you know, coming from, from, from um, an African culture. So, right. but I mean, just no, ma no matter where, no matter where I, I love, I love all of them, but um Yenenga for sure. And, and Yigoro, I don't know if you've gotten to the points just yet, you know, this, this old woman who just wanted to fight everybody. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, there were all these different characters and I kept thinking, what, what, this is, this is so cool. So, um, but yeah, I, I love every single one of them. I developed a special, special relationship with each and every one of them. And, um, I'm glad they are moving out in the world and people are getting to know them. But I, I would say Yenenga is definitely my favorite. I, I'm okay. definitely biased towards Yenenga. You talked earlier about looking at some of these stories in a larger context um, across the African continent. Do you find that when looking at a sort of even wider global context, are these stories feeling very unique to you as opposed to some of the, at least in, you know, the European culture of some of the stories we're more familiar with, like the Grimm's fairy tales? Are, are you seeing similarities or are they very unique? Both, I would say. And, and that has been the most exciting and rewarding thing about creating mythological Africans is reading some of these stories and seeing how they are practically the same human experience just happening on the African continent, but also seeing the ways in which they are absolutely unique to African people, right? Right. So, um, take the story of, of the, the Allegheny Princess, for example. That's a fairy tale that the, the motifs in it, you know, show up in, in stories all over the world. You know, it's the standard seal-skinned woman who changes and marries and all of that, except it doesn't end with her, you know, returning and, you know, um, the, the, the guy finding her skin and, you know, although those stories also show up in African, in African folklore, um, you know, the spirit of the tree is a Cinderella type tale. Right. Um, even the runaway princess, Konara, you know, the, the brave, um, princess or brave warrior or woman who accomplishes some great deed. These, these, these are all stories that, in one way or another, you know, you, you see them show up in folklore from other parts of the world. You know, encounter with beings and going off to the underworld to be free from the the, the, the troubles of of the human realm. Um, you know, communing with nature spirits. These, these are all things that show up in in folklore. Um, from, from other parts of the world, but there is a way in which they are absolutely unique, right, to, to African African peoples and African cultures, right? For take the, the Sacred Spring, for example. It's an Ibibio folktale, which I retell as a poem. Um, and it's it's something that the story is an idea that repeats itself in Ibibio culture because the Ibibio people are found um, in Nigeria. Um, I believe it's southwest. Southeast Nigeria, my bad, Southeast Nigeria, and they are on the, the, the right around where the, the deltas are. So they have all these rivers that, that, that permeate their land. They are riverine people, as they call themselves. And so their relationship with the spirits of the rivers, the spirits of the sea, it's, it's a very close relationship. They celebrate them in stories. They celebrate them in song. These spirits influence how they see themselves as a people, how they name themselves as a people, the, the clans and all of that. And there's the idea that you, you, you have to cultivate a right relationship with, with, with the, the spirits in order to, to fit well into your people as an individual and as a community. And so this, this story, you know, is, is a unique expression of that. 
but also you know um the story of of uh, uh Yaina Sako is another story that involves a water spirit but a, a different kind of relationship is a more protective spirit right um a, a spirit that that takes in uh, takes in people and and, and and shelters them um in my telling at least um there there i mean in songango's friends these are swamp spirits you know with songango's friends is actually based on the the folklore of my people the the fear people of cameroon also known as the bafanji and these are uh, are spirit children of the swamp and so they are fierce and you know very loyal and you know can be a bit terrifying but also really sweet so you have these different water bodies and the different spirits that 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 arise from them and the different relationships you have with them and then there is the story of takane and the nanabolele and the nanabolele are basically monsters of the rivers right um giant dragon type creatures you know that strike terror in the hearts of people but you you have all these different expressions you know of, of people's relationships with, with with the waters that they live in um people's uh relationships with with the the world above and the world below with ancestral spirits um this is the human story um there there are common themes but they are also just uniquely african in their own way and you know, uniquely woman and african and that that really was the best part for me do you have any, I, I'm, I'm scared to ask this considering what you have going on in your day to day, but do you have any other projects coming up? Um, I have a few that I am not going to go into too much okay. detail about at the okay. moment. Um, but honestly, at this point, I am just coming down from, you know, getting this book out because like I said, I, I look back and I realize just, I gave myself an insane timeline. Um, but then it was because this was a Kickstarter funded, you know, okay. um, 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 project and I didn't want to have too much lag time between being funded and you know, getting, getting the book out. So it's mostly just coming down from this whole experience, giving myself a, a chance to catch my breath and, you know, deal with needing to have a life and work a job and you know, earn a living at the same time. Um, but I, I have a few projects coming up this year that I, I am pretty excited about. I hope I, I am able to talk about with, with people, you know, more, more openly. Um, well, that'll be exciting. Yes, I'm looking forward I, to it. And um, the, the one I can definitely talk about is that the deep dive series are resuming because I, I stopped those when I started working on this book. So the deep dives are coming back and we're resuming with episode 13, which will be a focus on homosexual and I'm probably going to compress homosexual, lesbian and bisexual um, expressions of aliveness on the African continent. So um, I'm excited about that for sure. Yeah, that's going to be great. So where can people buy the book? The book is available on the Mythological Africans website both the e-version and the, the, the print version. And the e-version is currently on sale at 50% off to celebrate Women's History Month. The e-version of the book is also available on Amazon if that is more accessible. The print version is currently only available on the Mythological Africans website. So um, you, can definitely, you can definitely reach out there. And what's the uh, website address for that? Uh, mythologicalafricans.com. Okay. And for the uh, Friday afternoon uh, live show that you do, and also uh, your daily um, stories, that's on Twitter? Right. So that, that's on Twitter. If you follow Mythological Africans on Twitter, we are Mythic Africans. Um, that's one word, at Mythic Africans. Then you can keep up with the hashtags um, Monday through Sunday when I, when I have something to tweet. And every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S., you, you can sit in um, on the, the live storytelling and discussion sessions. I, I think that's the first time that I ever um, was aware of mythological Africans. And I just stumbled across one of those Friday afternoon sessions and they are fantastic. I enjoy them so much. They, they are definitely one of my favorite aspects of creating the platform because um, it's always fun when you have people from 
whichever culture that we are focused on who show up uh, because then you, you get to have a, a more you know nuanced and contextual conversation um, and sometimes we'll have poetry readings for example and the people will read the poems in the original language and that's always just a, a, an amazing experience so um, and and it, it, it pays homage to the nature of traditional African storytelling, but storytelling all around the world, right? Is that people get together, right. you know, and it's not you reading something somewhere, it's you being in, in, in community, if not in person, being, you know, in, in order, another person's presence, um, you know, adapting that to the, to the digital world that we live in. So it's definitely one of my favorite aspects of, of creating the platform. So do you have anything else that you want to share with people listening before we go? Um, absolutely. Um, if, if there is one thing I want to accomplish with mythological Africans for myself, for other African people, and for people around the world is to just continue insisting on our shared humanity. That's, that's what it comes down to for me. The idea that if we listen to our stories, um, it's the same joys and sorrows, the same pains, the same triumphs, the same tragedies and comedies and, and griefs. And we are all, you know, in relationship with this beautiful, bountiful, mind-boggling planet that we live on and who is all we have, you know, literally this this is our life that we are on. Um, and we, we are we are all just trying to figure it out. And we have stories from the past of how people have tried to figure it out before. And we, we can connect with each other in this way. There is more that brings us together as human beings than there is that separates us and our stories, our myths, our legends, and our relationships to these myths and legends um, absolutely prove that. So um, you are welcome to the Mythological Africans platform, wherever you are. Um, Come hear the stories, come bear witness to the amazing brilliance of, of African people from times past and times present. And yes, just stand with us as human beings. That's where we, we are all we have. Wise words. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you, Helen Naday, for taking the time to be here today and talking with us. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. This has been absolutely delightful. Thanks to Helen and Tracy for recording this discussion, and to you, both for bearing with the audio being slightly less than our usual standard, and for the delay in getting this episode to you if you normally listen as things come out. We'll be back soon with another episode, and also some new strands of content coming soon. I spent three days at the International Society for Contemporary Legend Research conference recently, where I was able to link up with Perry Carpenter from the Digital Folklore podcast. Together, we recorded some short interviews with some of the other conference attendees, and we'll be bringing those to you soon. There are also plans underway for a whole new podcast strand from the Folklore podcast, and more about that soon. If you can't wait for all of that, then there is lots of extra back content available on our Patreon page, much of it for supporters who sign up at just a pound a month. So, the price of a bar of chocolate makes a big difference to us in helping to pay for the time, facilities and hosting needed to run the podcast each month. And you can find more details at www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.